Giraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Suns win. Suns win. So the Suns break through in the win column. They won at 121 to 114. That's what I felt like anyway. Mitch Farrell, this is Steve Zinsmeister, hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday here in the Auction Community Studios. Trevor Henry keeping us comfy behind the glass there. So they got the win. Cool. Awesome. Can they do it again? <laughs> that's, that's kind of the focus here is you wonder... All right, they got the one win, and they got that monkey off their back. They looked a lot better than they did in the first two games in Denver. But now you got to do it again, and you've only got today off to get yourself ready for tomorrow's very, very pivotal Game 4. Yeah, the most intimidating thing about a Game 4 in this scenario is that imagine how different a series feels when it's 2-2 versus 3-1. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a more pivotal game in terms of swaying the momentum of how I feel about where the Suns stand against the Nuggets than this game four. Because down 3-1, I think we all kind of think it's over. I've seen LeBron James overcome a 3-1. That's the, the only time I've ever seen that is when LeBron James, the greatest player that the sport has probably ever seen. I know some people are going to fight me on that. Uh, I'm just going to go out and say it. When he took over the game of basketball and decided, you know what? I'm not going to lose this series. I know I'm down 3-1, but I just decided I'm not going to lose. Well, how about, That's the only time I've ever seen that happen. How about even in the series prior when the Warriors were facing the Thunder and the Thunder were up three games to one? Steph Curry kind of did Steph Curry was thing. like, nah, this ain't happening. Yeah, we're the best team in the regular season, the best team in history. The only we're other time the I, final, the only other time I've ever seen it done was the Chicago Cubs over my Cleveland team. Any, any not happy about that? Any other Ohio references you want to make before we talk? About I'm sure I've got a couple hand. more in the bag. How many <laughs> enough more? Is enough. How many more am I allowed? Uh, I think you've hit your limit. Use them wisely. But you do make a good point. And even down 2-0, the stats are not favorable. Oh no! Right, once you go down two games, it almost feels insurmountable. And there was talk earlier this week about Kevin Durant. He was in a similar situation when he was with OKC, and they were down two games to none to the Spurs, and they came back and won, went to the final, and then eventually lost to the champion Miami Heat. Like, it happens. It's not out of the ordinary, but it is very much not in their favor. And we just talked in the last segment about sustainability and the way that the Suns won last night. And you and I, I hope I'm not putting too many words in your mouth, but you and I worry about the way that they won that game last night. Not a ton of free throw opportunities, a lot of heavy distribution scoring between just two guys, still trying to figure out rotations and who to put on the floor and who not to have on the floor. There's a lot of, you know, red flags with how they won last night. It's always intimidating and scary when you're relying so heavily on one or two individuals to carry any team in any sport to the degree that the Suns rely on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. I'm sure it seems easier optically when there's only five guys at a time to just rely on one guy. I mean, you just talked about LeBron James. Right. How many years was he carrying those Cleveland Cavalier teams? Uh, How long was he there the first stint? Seven years or whatever it was? I mean, he he might have a hump on his back just from all the carrying that he had to do, the extra weight that he had to take. It's it's hard because... It's a double-edged sword, right? Like, if Kevin Durant and Devin Booker don't get this level of attention offensively, then we're all looking at each other like, what are we doing? Get the ball to the best players. Yep. Let them do what they do best. What was it? But if they they do it like they did last night and they win, we're like, great. 
But what about the bench? Right. Why isn't the bench scoring? What about the role players? Why aren't they playing better? So it's a double-edged sword, and we got to take it the good with the bad, I guess. But it's just very scary when you rely so heavily on two guys because what if Devin Booker has a shooting night in Game 4 like Kevin Durant had last night where he did not shoot well? Yeah, let's be real. 20 out of 25 is stellar. How many times does 20 of 25 happen? I know we referenced Barely another time ever. this season where Booker has done it, but let's be realistic. Barely ever. There's no way. And if he does, I, I'll donate to his starting five foundation. If he goes 20 of 25 again, I'll donate to his starting five foundation. How about that? It's just unrealistic. It's amazing to witness, but it is completely unrealistic. I'm not saying it's going to bite the suns in the ass, but you can't set up your opportunities for victory on one dude doing 80% from the field. Honestly, if he goes 20 of 25 again, shame on the Nuggets. Yeah, that too. Because you have to find a way to defend Devin Booker better. And I I realize what I just said sounds really simple, and it's much easier said than done. Of course. Um, But at the same time, like this is a good defensive team in Denver. They should be able to figure out a way not to negate Devin Booker and have him score zero, but to find a way to at least curb some of that success and efficiency. I mean, Michael Malone said something similar, the head coach of the Nuggets. He said something similar earlier this week about how Aaron Gordon was doing a really good job slowing Durant, but he had to emphasize like he's not stopping Kevin Durant. Nobody stops Kevin Durant. It's similar with Devin Booker. And they did kind of a mini switch, Denver did, in the second half defensively. Did you notice? They put Aaron Gordon on Booker. And then they moved KCP off over to Durant. And it kind of shook shook up, I should say, how Phoenix was trying to generate offense. And that kind of led to Denver's little run back in the third quarter. You probably noticed, too, the double teams Yeah, that Denver started going to. Well, it's easier to double team when he's got four bench guys with him on the floor. <laughs> well, Come on! Well, I mean, even when Durant and Booker were both out there, if Durant caught the ball... Double team. Yep. Booker got the ball. Double team. I mean, that's where Denver has feasted defensively so far in this series. And I think this is a smart strategy for the Nuggets because they're going to basically go out there and say, okay, we are going to focus all of our attention on those two guys because clearly they're the only two that are scoring right now. If you beat us with your bench players, if you beat us with Terrence Ross, fine. Fine Mm -hmm. with that. You beat Mm -hmm. us with TJ Warren, we're good with that. Campaign goes off for a quarter. We can live with that. But what we can't live with is Devin Booker shooting 20 for 25 and scoring 20-plus points in a quarter and ending the game with 45 or 7, whatever it was last night. That's absurd if you're the Nuggets. It's great for the Suns, but again, how sustainable is that? The bigger question for me is, what changes will we see at the center position in Game 4 versus Game 3? Jock Landale outplayed DeAndre Ayton last night. Aiton ends the game with four points and four personal fouls. That is never a good look. Nope. I didn't particularly love the energy defensively. I saw a couple of times where he would grab rebounds and didn't know what the heck to do with the basketball. Just throw it back to the which Nuggets. Is, which is, you know, not a good way to handle the possession, if I am if I do say so myself. Good on Monty for making that call mid-game to go with Landale, go with the hot hand. And I'm not even talking about offensively. He was 3 of 3, but it's not like you're asking him to do much offensively. Well, I mean, he closed out the third quarter and then started the fourth quarter. Just give me the energy. Yeah. Just give me the effort. That's all I'm asking for. And my... Biggest storyline, my biggest narrative I'm paying attention to going into Game 4 is not Devin Booker, it's not Kevin Durant. They'll do their thing, they always do. 
How does DeAndre Ayton react to being benched for Jock Landale, a player who is in his inferior athletically and skills-wise, but is showing way more effort and is tougher right now than DeAndre Ayton is? How does that impact the game? That's the biggest storyline of Game 4. I also wonder, what are you doing those three days off or those three days of preparation where you come out several days later, feel somewhat rested, and that's what we get? And he even took questions. Do you remember the remember the, the video that was going around during game or either after game one or whatever it was where Jokic got like five second chance opportunities on one possession and Aiton is just standing behind the backboard kind of looking? He has a standing, standing problem. He does. He has, he has a, a standing he has a problem. Standing and waiting around problem standing instead of and a, staring. Instead of a injecting yourself into what's happening, right? That's where a lot of the frustrations come from with the, oh, he's not giving us the energy or the effort or whatever. It's the just kind of staring and watching and waiting for something to happen and things kind of look like they're moving in slow motion to him. I want to give credit to our friend Luke Lipinski for this one because I think I heard him say it during round one against the Clippers. He said, could you imagine a player of DeAndre Ayton's size and abilities with the effort level of Russell Westbrook? And oh I thought, and when God. he said that, I thought to myself, that's the greatest basketball player in the world. That's Giannis. That's yep. Jokic. That's, that's just Joel, Embiid. Joel Embiid. Like that, that's what that is. Might be Victor Wembanyama soon. And who knows? What's so frustrating, because I do want to continue to give DeAndre Ayton credit. He's an extremely talented player. Yep. He's deserving of being where he's at in his career and playing on this team. Uh, he's very good when he's. On And when he shows that effort, it's literally a switch that needs to be flipped. It's just not as easy as pressing it. There's something that has to activate DeAndre Ayton, and I haven't figured out what it is yet. The switch is a little rusty, it feels like. It hasn't been used in a while, so it's kind of like stuck at the bottom part, and you're trying to force it up and so you can get that whole connective loop and get the energy going. It just hasn't really been there yet. Didn't really see it all that much in the Clippers series either. It's... The the phrasing that I heard, I believe it was Burns and Gamble used it during the Clippers series. It was a misleading stat line, right? Where the stats look good. But if you watch the game and you really pay attention to what DeAndre Ayton is doing, it's bad. It's not good. It's not helpful. It's detrimental, if anything, for the Suns. Does Bismack play in Game 4? Does Monty work him into the rotation? Only because Monty doesn't have a set rotation and it's kind of driving me nuts. I kind of believe that he will. I do blame Monty a little bit for not having a rotation, a consistent rotation at this point in the season. And I know that it's been difficult with how much this team has changed mid-year, like roster construction I was going to say, can I give him one piece of relief on that? Sure. He's had this roster for basically eight games heading into the postseason. Totally get it. Totally get it. And I actually liked last night that he tried a bunch of different guys. He tried mm-hmm. Landale instead of Biz. Uh, he tried, uh, who else played? TJ Warren. He tried Terrence Ross last night instead of Damian Lee didn't play. But at the same time, a lot of us were screaming for that move to happen in particular. I No, I totally agree. And I liked it. But at the same time, there should have been a consistent rotation figured out by this point. And going into game four, I'm not sure that I know who's going to be playing. There was big NBA news that happened just a couple of days ago. Is there any way that it could impact the Phoenix Suns? We'll try to figure that out next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
back here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. There's some big NBA news that happened, was it Thursday afternoon? A couple days before Suns game, just before the basketball game that was going to be played that night. So I'm sure this was done with intent, in a sense, trying to sneak it in just before the deadline kind of thing. The Milwaukee Bucks fired head coach Mike Budenholzer, who, if I'm sure as many of you remember, back in 2021, was the coach of the team that defeated the Suns in the finals when the Bucks won their first title in 50-plus years. He's gone now. He's Well, he's not the, gone. gone. Well, yeah, he's okay. gone from the Bucks. Okay, okay. The Bucks dismissed him, so he's now a free agent, and the Bucks are looking for a new head coach after the best regular season record and after getting basically gentlemen swept out of the first round by the eight-seed Miami Heat. And you could argue, oh, well, Giannis wasn't fully healthy. Well, boo-hoo. They won the game without Giannis, the Bucks did, in the one game that they won. It creates an interesting question that I am not saying is going to happen, but I was curious about when the news came down. Does Mike Budenholzer become an option for the Phoenix Suns as their next head coach? Uh, well, and, I, and I mean in the Super, super near future. So my immediate reaction is, okay, he's going to be a head coach next season. I would think so. He's going to be a head coach next season. I believe that. Somewhere. So now the question is, do the Suns move off of Monty? Now, I assume the worst case scenario is that the Suns lose the next two games and new owner comes in, Matt Ishbia might have big grand plans for the position, and he realizes, okay, this team, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are deserving of more than losing in the second round. Let's make a change. And that's Ish- probably what would have to and happen. Ishbia has gone on record. I'm not saying he's this is what he's thinking about, but I am saying he's gone on record and has emphasized that he wants to win every single year. I totally get that. And, and I love a, that. This is a thing that happens with new ownership. I'll use the Denver Broncos as an example. This is the second year of their new ownership group. What did they do after a miserable first year as their owners? Well, they got one of the best damn head coaches in football and paid him a lot of money to do that. Yeah. Would Matt Ishbia follow suit if, to your point, if the Suns lose these next two games and are knocked out in the second round of the playoffs? You always wonder with new owners because they sometimes come in with these grand ideas. I mean, heck, on day one. Matt Ishbia goes out and trades for the greatest scoring wing of all time. He had barely Kevin signed the documents, basically. Right. It was within like 12 hours of him becoming owner. He makes the biggest swing that this franchise has ever had. Uh, even we talked about just this past week, we talked about the TV deal that they're trying to cook up with Arizona's family and mm-hmm. basically put the Suns on basic cable to put themselves in front of millions of more eyeballs. Yep. Another bold strategy that probably is not going to make him money in the immediate future, but vastly makes them more available to more people. It's got people talking and it maybe becomes the new regional sports streaming method. You make it available to everybody. Does Matt Ishbia have a name in mind that he would like to see be the head coach in the future? I think he's fully invested in Monty Williams. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that he wants to push Monty out necessarily. That's not what I'm suggesting. I don't either. I'm just saying every new owner comes in with people in mind. and Like we even talked about from an executive perspective when Matt Ishbia signed on with the Suns, Isaiah Thomas got thrown around. His name was thrown around a lot as an executive. Yep. Uh, that might even still happen on some level. We just don't know yet. 
every new owner comes in with big ideas. Who I want to be the the coach, the GM, the broadcasters, uh, what broadcast network we're on, yep. who's going to play for this team. Owners have these grand ideas, and so for that reason, I cannot close the idea on them moving on from Monty Williams. I just don't expect it necessarily. I, I don't expect- say it's probable. I don't expect it either. But there's the other side of this, too, which is, you know, Milwaukee's opening. It's it's very intriguing to look at it from the Suns' perspective and think, oh, maybe they'll go after the guy that was able to defeat them not that long ago when chasing their first ever title. There's the Milwaukee side to this, too. So what if they look at it from the other way? And the only reason I think that way is because of this Report from Adrian Wojnarowski a couple of days ago. Listen closely. Not just coaches that are available who Hmm. don't have jobs now, former head coaches, uh, assistant coaches in the league. But I think also, I think if you're in Milwaukee, you have an opportunity to take your time and see if there are coaches under contract Elsewhere in the NBA, as this playoff, as these playoffs go on, uh, can somebody become jarred loose? Is there a conversation to be had with teams or with individuals about coaches who might still be under contract? Milwaukee can take its time. They're going to take their time on this search. They have Giannis Antetokounmpo. There's nobody in the league who wouldn't love to coach him. And so I think this is not going to be a quick process for the Bucks. From the perspective of the Bucks. Woj, maybe he de- he maybe he intended to apply it that way, but I'm certainly reading it this way. The Bucks are potentially looking at any of the eight remaining coaches in the NBA. Does that mean maybe the Bucks are thinking that Ishbia would want to move on from his current head coach, and that gives Milwaukee an opportunity to swoop in? And take away Monty Williams? Monty is one of the eight coaches, eight head coaches left in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I don't know exact verbiage of how he said that, but you could, I guess, construe that as like some of the assistant coaches. Look, I heard Woj say coaches under contract. Coaches under contract. He mentioned, of course, assistants. And assistants typically are the ones that get interviewed for the next jobs. Sure. Sure. And there's some good assistants left in the playoffs, by and the way. And there are some pretty darn good coaches Including under here in contract Phoenix. right now. Realistically, uh, if you were to whittle it down, let's whittle it down real quick. Joe Mazzulla in Boston just got extended. Not Probably going not anywhere. Happen. Not after what happened last year. The only other one that I can think of, Doc Rivers in Philly. Where I can see that. it might get testy and you might get frustrated because... You've got this generational talent, Joel Embiid, and it's not going anywhere. I could see them moving off Doc. Michael Malone in Denver. Would they? I don't know. Probably their, not. If this is their best opportunity at a ring or their title, would they move off of him if they felt they'd get out of this round? I, I don't know. I, if they were to lose in the playoffs, I, I don't think it would be Michael Malone's fault. Though. Eric Spolstra and Tom Thibodeau. I don't think either of them are going anywhere anytime Eric soon. Eric Spolstra's just been with one organization his entire career. It doesn't it's feel like... culture, right? Like yeah. they, they don't just move on from dudes. I think he likes where he's at. And then the last ones are Darvin Ham, who is in his first year with the Lakers, and Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr ain't going nowhere. Unless, you know, I'll throw in the wrinkle of what if Bob Myers leaves and that forces Steve to want to go. But uh, Maybe. Uh, but if I think if Bob Myers leaves, I think they give Steve Kerr more power. So realistically, if we're going down this particular path, that leaves you with two options. Monty. And Doc. And Doc. Doc and is the more one, likely? Doc is the one that comes to mind for me. Out of the head coaches. Now, again, if you want to look at assistants, Kenny Atkinson is in Golden State, right? He had his opportunity to take the, uh, what was it, the Charlotte job and then backed out. I like Kenny Atkinson. I like Kenny Atkinson a lot. Mm -hmm. And we know that 
some of the assistants that go through Golden State under Steve Kerr have had a lot of success. Mike Brown had a lot of success with the Kings this year. Is that a guy that you might consider? A team that was in the playoffs? Would you try to pry him away from the Kings? I know they had a lot of success and they're they're trending the right direction, but could you convince Mike Brown, hey, listen, I, I know you guys are good, but we got Giannis. We got the team ready for you over yeah, look, here. Look at this dude. This you is the this best player in the NBA. This makes me think of, remember back in the day when uh, the Cubs needed a new manager and Theo Epstein went out and got Joe, Joe Madden. Madden. And nobody knew Joe Madden was even available. The Rays were good. Yep. Joe Madden was the best manager in baseball. And there was an out clause in his contract that he could get out. And he decides to go to the big market that's trying to win a championship. And he goes and plays for the, uh, manages for Theo in Chicago. Could they swing something like that? Could you go to, I'll throw out a name. Could you go to Greg Popovich? Oh. And say, listen, dude, are you tired of being at the bottom of the league? Oh. Because you're getting up there in age. And we got Giannis, we got Drew Holiday, we got a team right now, we got Chris Middleton. We have a small window to win. You have a small window to win. Stop being at the bottom of the NBA with the Spurs and come be the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Could you do that and convince Popovich to leave San Antonio? A guy like Spolstra who spent basically his whole entire successful career in one place. And then there's the last other, other side of this to bring this back to Phoenix. Would Monty want to go there You'd, uh, if given the opportunity? It'd be hilarious if they switched head coaches. Budenholzer <laughs> comes huh? here, Monty goes there. Um, and then they meet in the finals again and the Bucks win again. Listen, I, if I'm Monty, <laughs> if I'm Monty, I want to be an NBA head coach. I want to be the head coach of the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in particular. And Chris Paul for the time being and, and hopefully a good future for other players as well like DeAndre Ayton. Listen, there's also three of the last four NBA championship winning coaches are currently unemployed. Nick Nurse is available. Frank Vogel. So Vogel, Nurse, Bud. I mean, they just fired Bud, so the Bucks aren't going that way. And Steve Kerr is solidified. He's fine in Golden State. And I mean, even if you want to go back, because Steve Kerr was the one who championed a lot of those teams, Ty Lue is on a different team since he was the last head coach. The Bucks have a lot of options available to them. The top two, in my mind, not Monty. They're Doc Rivers having success with the Sixers, but I I think Philadelphia doesn't like Doc. I really do. Like, as a fan base. It just seems to set up that way. It just feels that way with Doc. And then the other one for me is Greg Popovich. Can you convince him to leave San Antonio? I can't believe you brought up that name. I'm so mad at you. What? Why mad? I thought it was a good one. I'll get mad at you in the break. Just Uh, just, just do the thing. Sounds good to me. I have a tease written down, and it says, OMG Devin Booker. I guess we're going to praise him quite a bit in this next segment. You're going to want to hear it on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Devin Booker is just amazing. 47 points last night on 20 of 25 shooting. He had nine assists as well. He has to be point book while Chris Paul is out. We haven't talked about Chris Paul, by the way, and how long we expect him to be out. But while he is, Durant and Booker are probably in charge of basically being the point guards. No, they're totally in charge. And, you know, the fact that Booker is performing at this level and contributing not only offensively, but also just as much defensively last night. Oh, it's so good to watch. It's I mean, we joked about it earlier. It literally says OMG Devin Booker on our on our uh, show sheets today. Simple as that. Like, 
what can we say? He's he's got his teammates exacerbated, exacerbated, exasperated. He's got his teammates exasperated. Maybe it is both. <laughs> Last for words. I don't know. Mitch can't even speak. That's how baffled he is by Devin Booker. <sighs> it's a good thing I got into it. And this is what we do for a living. It's a good thing I got into a talk radio job. Yeah, exactly. But basically, we're watching this and we're we're flabbergasted. 20 of 25? Are you kidding me? It's he not, just had his way last night. It's not uncommon. He did it before. Just kidding. <laughs> he did do it before, but I am kidding. Did it, it is very before. rare. He did it once before, and he also did it in 30 minutes. So he did this before in 10 fewer minutes wow. on the floor. That's absurd. It's We've talked about this double-edged sword, right? It's phenomenal that Devin Booker has the individual success that he did last night and that him and Durant combined for... 86 points last night. It's phenomenal. It's fun to watch. It's great. It's amazing. The problem is, what happens when one of the four wheels on your car falls off? You can't drive it. And it's a pretty expensive car, and you have to take And right now we're driving a two-wheeled car, so I guess that makes it a motorcycle. Or a bike. Yeah. (laughs) What happens when one of the motorcycle wheels falls off? And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think Durant and Booker are as solidified as anybody in the playoffs right now. Okay, but we've made the point several times. Kevin Durant hasn't been, like, otherworldly. I don't think we've seen the best of Durant he yet. He scored 39 points. Great. You know how many of those came from the free throw line? 14. 14. It wasn't amazing last night from Durant. But you know what he did? He modified his approach. He only had one three. Too. He attacked the basket. He did the one thing that the Suns desperately needed, and that was get to the free throw line. So much so, he was the only one to get to the free throw line last night outside of garbage time. Right? Booker got there with, I think, seven seconds yeah, left in the game. Yeah. Barely counts. I mean, he almost broke a record for most points scored without going to the free throw line. That's that's how ridiculous last night By was. By a lot, too. It's, you know, we're in awe. We're starstruck. We're saying to ourselves, this is the guy that we've been expecting to see all along. And here he is. Here he finally is. All those jokes that were made about he should go somewhere to save his career, and uh, lo and behold, his career has taken a massive upturn in the last two, three years. It says something, too, that in the year that you go and get Durant, because Durant will always be known as the bigger star than Devin Booker, I believe, just based on what he's accomplished in his career and being the probably the most dominant scoring player of all time. I can agree with that. To make that move at the trade deadline and in the middle of the season— and for Devin Booker to be the one that's shining in the playoffs. And now, again, Durant had 39. That's incredible. Uh, he's had other good scoring performances along the way in the Clippers series and even in, against Denver. But we have not seen the best of Kevin Durant yet. He has certainly not outshined Devin Booker in no. any way. No. And they're doing the same things for the most part. Other than Durant was trying to get to the free throw line last night, Booker was not. They're asked to do primarily the same things. They both score. They both shoot well from the outside. They both had a lot of assists in the absence of Chris Paul. In fact, I mean, looking at the assist column, Booker had nine, Durant had eight. Aside from that, I mean, Campaign had six, but he's the backup point guard. He should have a couple. Nobody else had assists. One for TJ Warren. One. It's. It was, Durant and Booker aren't just doing all the scoring. They're doing everything. I forgot the exact number, but somebody tried to do the math. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can dig for it. But basically, to your point of them doing all of the scoring and doing all of the assisting. Okay, here it is. Gerald Bourget of PHNX. He thinks he did the math right, and I'm going to take his word for it. So 86 combined points. And he mentions they also scored on a, or assisted to bring that total up to 106 
of the 121 points last they night. They were responsible for 106 points last night out of 121. That's two dudes basically scoring 106 points, which... And they probably the, had a couple which, hockey assists in which, there, too. Which, by the way, is more than Kobe Bryant and Smush Parker in the game where <laughs> Kobe Bryant scores 81. The highest scoring duo of all time in a game. Kobe Bryant and Smush Parker. Just stop. Smush didn't really carry much weight in that game, but he scored 13. He got smooshed is what he did. I see what you did there. And look, again, we want to emphasize the awe and jaw-dropping performances that Devin Booker has had. But he needs help. And he's down Chris Paul now. And we knew that Chris Paul was going to be down for this upcoming game. There's little optimism that he's going to play. Suns officially list him as day-to-day, but all the reports say he's not going to play in game four. Devin Booker is being asked to do a lot, and he's performing at an absurdly high level. But can he repeat this with only one day off in between? Remember, they had three days, four days almost between games two and game three. Plenty of time for Devin Booker to rejuvenate himself. Is he going to be able to do that again a day from now? I don't know. Uh, I've stopped doubting Devin Booker at this point. He I, Every time I say it can't get any better, it does get better. Let me ask you a big, big broad question. I mean, he's question. at that point in his career where he'll take those really, really tough mid-range shots where a dude is basically falling on top of him as he's shooting and fading away. He still makes it. But he not just makes it. It goes in without touching the rim. Is there a better player, a better shooting guard in the NBA than Devin Booker? I can name a few if you want. Donovan Mitchell is in that conversation. James Harden is probably in that conversation. Bradley Beal is in that conversation. I don't think any of them are better than Devin Booker. Jalen Brown, still in the playoffs. Is he a forward or is he a guard? I think most people consider him a shooting guard. He's a wing. If... I mean, if you're going to go through that list of names again, I rely highly more on Devin Booker to get me exactly what I need than I do any of those other guys. On Anthony any of those Edwards, other teams. No. he might be more of a three. No. He's probably with, got higher potential. With but. respect to Edwards, who's 21 and performing at a ridiculously high level, I trust Devin Booker more than anybody else that you're probably going to name for me. Donovan Mitchell is the only one that really comes close for me. I think James Harden has had a fantastic career. But at times, he's more of a point guard than he is a shooting He guard. went from 45 points in Game 1 to 36, I believe, points in Games 2 and 3 against the Celtics. That, that, that's the James Harden experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Devin Booker, you don't get that experience. I mean, even the Suns, they tweeted out, the Suns tweeted out the games that Devin Booker has had in this postseason. And you just look at it and you think to yourself... Is there anything that's going to stop this dude from performing at the level that he has been? Are you ready for this? Round one, game one, 26 points. Game two, 38 points. Game three, 45. Game four, 30. Game five, 47. Game one of this series, 27. Game two, 35. Game three, 47. Are you going to get that same level of production from any of those same guys that you listed? Maybe night Mitchell. In, night out? Maybe. Maybe Mitchell. But where are they right now? He had a 70-point game this season, didn't he? 70, yes. But where are they right now? What are they up to? Uh, Cleveland got knocked out. Right. So clearly it mattered. By a or clearly it helped. By the Knicks, I think they got knocked out. Whereas in all of these games that Devin Booker has played, they've lost three. I rely on Devin Booker more than anybody else that you're going to name for me. And that that's just that. Everything he's done is pretty remarkable. And the fact that Devin Booker decided to stay with the Suns, to sign that massive extension out of his rookie deal 
it means more now that you put it in context of what they've achieved. You're and, talking about the first extension, right? Yeah, the when first Nick one. Dono was the GM, right? The first one, yeah, because he could have had the option to say, "No, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be an 18 win team." And drafting in the top five every year and picking a bunch of guys that aren't going to be here after mm-hmm. I'm ready to do business. He could have left. He could have. He could have forced his way out. God knows that in the NBA, the players, the superstar players have all the leverage. Yep. He could have made any number of moves to get himself out of Phoenix by now. And he did not. He wanted to stick it out. He wanted to have success with the guys that were around him. Doesn't mean he loved every teammate he played for or that any of them deserved it necessarily, but he is clearly, in my mind, going to become the greatest Phoenix Sun that ever played the game, if he's not already there. Charles, now, the I, Charles didn't play a long time in Phoenix. Steve Nash play, what, has two, two MVPs. Yeah. But Steve Nash, even, I think Devin Booker's the better player than I, Steve Nash. Let's be realistic. I think the one thing that's going to put Booker over the top, and he's got plenty of time for this. The one thing that's going to put Booker over the top is if he can be the one that brings the first title to the Valley. Absolutely. Absolutely. That happens immediately solidified as the greatest son of all time. He's already got an argument for it to begin with. I mean, I think he is right now. He's not a two-time MVP, so I I think Nash probably has the advantage in that conversation. And Charles is certainly the better player over the career, but again, he only played, what, four I mean, let's, seasons let's put in Phoenix? it this way. I know we're talking in the context of right now, but if you were to list off, just off the top of your head, most famous sons in history, who's the first one you're naming? Barkley. Okay? Most famous. Like, how ma- basically, how many do you have to say before you get to Booker? It's not many. It's Barkley and Nash. Those are the only two I can think of. Yeah. I mean, there's other good players in their team's history. Jason Kidd was a good player, not necessarily the but greatest. But my point son. being is like Sean Marion. If you were to even ask the casual NBA fan, like, "Hey, name me a Phoenix Sun from their entire history," like, how many names are you going to get before you get Devin Booker? Maybe two. Probably not many. Maybe two. Now, how many names do you have to go through to get to DeAndre Ayton? <laughs> Quite a few. Yeah, he's got to be better, few. and we'll talk about how he can be better next on Arizona Sports Saturday. And Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I want to start with uh, a Stephen A. Smith cut from before yesterday's game. If we have to. Well, I mean, you know, buckle your seatbelts, brace yourself, whatever. However you digest your Stephen A. Smith content. But... This kind of sets up where we're going with this conversation, and I'll just let Stephen A. say what he wants to say. Let me bring up the Bahamas because I want to remind DeAndre Ayton, it ain't time to go there yet. Ain't time to go there yet. What the hell is going on with you? You don't have a pulse? Jokic is giving it to this brother. Nikola Jokic is shooting 50% with 37 points in two games when guarded by DeAndre Ayton. Do you not have something to say about that? I mean, you ain't some spring chicken. I mean, I mean, I mean, you're not no some novice. You've been around a little while. This man is abusing you. He's embarrassing you. Do something about it, damn it. 39 and 16 in game two, just doing whatever he wanted to do. You know, just wobbling up and down the court and not busting your living. You know what? What the hell is that about, DeAndre? We haven't even mentioned Nikola Jokic's stat line for what it's worth. 30 points, 17 rebounds, 17 assists. He's doing things that only Wilt Chamberlain was doing at this time of the year. Yeah, it's a good point. And to be honest with you, no matter how well DeAndre Ayton plays, Nikola Jokic is still going to be good. That's that's fine. But I think the argument that Stephen A is trying to make is, 
at least do something. Do something about it. And again, this is before game three. Yeah. This is after seeing two prior games leading up to this one. Before he got benched for Jock Landale. And the response, no offense to Jock. He actually no, 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 outplayed no, no. Aiton in every way. They needed Jock last night. Yeah. The response that we got from Aiton was far from perfect. I mean, very, very far from perfect. If anything, it was very, very far from decent. It was abysmal. It was awful. It was. He's got a standing around problem. You're starting to wonder, was it even worth it giving him all that money? One thing I worry about Aiton is... He's had two front row seats of what it feels like or what it looked like to get to dominate the game. Because you remember in the finals how Giannis dominated him. Mm-hmm. He had a front row seat for that. And going against Jokic now, he experiencing the same thing. So it's like, when is Aiden going to wake up and realize and learn something from those two guys? Yeah, but the thing is, he, he played Jokic two years ago. In the series, two series before he played Giannis. He's experienced this before. This is not some new player that he's never seen before and doesn't have a scouting report on. You know what I mean? It's like he's done well in a series against this particular player in a year that Jokic won the MVP. You know what I kind of wonder? Because there's a piece of context that we left out when we brought that up. That was a contract year for him. So what, you don't think he's motivated because he's got money? a contract year for him. Well, he's got the money now. Yeah. But remember... That whole deadline to do the rookie extension before your final year, before you become a restricted free agent, he was playing out of his mind he was. in that postseason. And maybe his response to not getting it that offseason was, you know, kind of what we're seeing now. Okay, follow-up question. Okay. Because earlier I I'd mentioned to you, I really think it's just an e- a question of effort. It's not a question of skill set. It's, it's not a question of ability. Effort. It's always been it's effort. It's not a question of size. He's one of the best in-shape guys I think I've ever seen in the game of basketball. He looks like Hakeem out there. He looks like a wise one physically. But it's the effort that's not there. So here's the question. What motivates DeAndre Ayton? Is it a benching for another player that is your inferior? Is it money like you're talking about? Because he's got the money. He went out and got the, the match from Indiana in the offseason, and the Suns had to match it because yeah. they just had no other choice. Look, it was the, either lose him or pay him. The Suns challenged him. They said, hey, if you want this money, you got to go earn it. You're not going to get it from us. And, you know, lucky, I guess, for him, he got that money. But it's a very, it's a very strange way of, one, handling business, and two, trying to motivate a guy. Because, I mean, look at the production that we're getting now. Or... Should I say lack of production that we're getting right now? It's not Some there. guys are motivated by embarrassment, too. Yeah, do you think he needs to be angry? angry I'd love for him to be angry or dominating as he says it. Uh, put in his place. Something however like you want to yeah. word it. Yeah. I think that that could play a role. I mean, the better Jokic plays, uh, clearly he's he's gotten outplayed by Jokic in all three games, and we all expect that. Nobody expects Aiton to outperform Jokic, but they expect him to put in the effort at the least. I don't know, man. There's so many times that I watch him, and the, and the balls come, the, bo- the ball bounces off the rim and the backboard, and it's a free for all. And Aiton's just standing there. I mean, and he's maybe not even close by, but like you could put in an effort. We referenced the game one the other night, where he's just kind of standing from behind the backboard and watching as it's happening instead of getting himself involved. There was even another moment, and this may be too nitpicky, but there was even a moment last night where. He may have thought he was boxing out Jokic, but then the ball's just zooming over his head and Jokic is able to grab it behind him because he's got the height advantage and the distance advantage. At one point, he grabbed a rebound, and I was like, there you go, Aiton. 
All right. <laughs> and then he turns around and throws it to one of the players on the other team, and they scored. And I was like, okay. I got another one. Well, I got two of them. There was back-to-back layups by Jamal Murray in Aiton's face. No, that drove me crazy. Just couldn't get it. Went right around him. There was even the one where Bruce Brown went behind him and poked it out, and it went right back for a Nuggets points. Okay, maybe it's too nitpicky, but at the same time, when your overall performance kind of is encapsulated within a 30-second stretch, that should tell you something. That should motivate you to want to be better. And there was there was a Devin Booker comment after the game where he mentioned that at the end of the day, you can't get too down on yourself and your individual performances. You just got to take the wins at this point in the season. Yes and no. You do have to take the wins at this point in the season, but don't you want to feel good about how you did in those wins? Don't you want to feel like you were a contributor in said win? I don't think Aiton felt good after last night's game. He didn't talk to anybody. Part of the reason he dipped out of the locker room before the media got in there. Right. Even though you won as a team, and that's probably got to feel good to get back on track a little bit, Aiton did not feel good after that game. I mean, just think about it in your line of work. You and I, we do a two-hour show on Saturdays. When we're done, are we... You know, applauding ourselves like, yeah, we made it through two hours. We we talked about some good topics. No, I mean, we or think we, we did a good criti- show. Or are we going to be critical of ourselves when we, you know, stink for a five-minute stretch? We think we do a good show, and we still harp on, like, man, I really botched that tease. Right. Or like, I, I could have done this or that better, or I let that soundbite play a little too long, even though it was just kind of rambling. I mean, yeah, you always evaluate yourself, and you know— Retroactively. So the question is, is Aiden doing that right now, or is he going to sulk about it and just come back and have another 26-minute stinker? I hope he's thinking about ways to improve. I hope that he's not going to just be placed the first time he comes out of the game tomorrow. I hope that he's thinking about, okay, here's how I have to help Jock Landale get better. It's like any time a quarterback gets benched and the backup comes in, or even if the quarterback gets hurt, how much is the starter responsible for putting the backup in a good position to succeed while they're out there? That's my job out there he's doing. If I'm not helping him do my job, then I'm not doing my job. And I think that that plays a role. How much does Monty Williams feel responsible for rewarding Jock Landale for outplaying and out-efforting DeAndre Ayton last night? Do you give Landale more time in Game 4 than you originally planned? Because, you know what? He gave us the best effort at the five last night. I mean, the, the biggest example that I can think of of overcoming failure, and again, this is slightly more extreme. Jalen Hurts got benched at halftime in the national championship. Tua Tagovailoa comes in and Alabama wins. That's right. right. That's right. But look at Jalen Hurts now. Yeah. He's the second highest paid quarterback in the league currently on a team that is probably going to be the best team in the NFC again. He's more successful than Tua. Right. Like, what's Tua up to? And, you know, injuries play a factor into Tua, but... They're both in a good spot, don't get me wrong. Sure, but Jalen Hurts has very much overcome the adversity that was presented to him on the biggest collegiate stage that there is. You know why I don't love that comparison, though? Okay. Because Jalen Hurts gets benched, and then what does he do? He transfers. True. He did stick around for a minute, but then eventually he transfers, and that's when he finds a success. Well, he stayed for another year, right? He stayed for a year. And then what happened in the semifinal game? Tua got hurt, and Jalen Hurts had to come in, and he got them back to the championship. Took advantage of the moment. Right. And then he transferred. You're that's getting, why I don't like the comparison you're getting perfectly. Too hung up on the transfer thing, no, no, though. no. I just mean that like he went somewhere else to make it figure out. I don't want Aiton to have to leave. Well, to figure it out. You know what I mean? You want uh, to figure yeah, it out I here. Hate, I would hate that for him to go be really good somewhere else. Let's that's what it, I'm saying. Let's think of it this way. A Saturday from now, it's either going to be Game 7 
or one of these two teams is going to be advancing a Saturday from now. And then after that, depending on what position the Suns are in, we might be talking about what position DeAndre Ayton is in with this organization. I don't want to have that now. I don't really want to have that ever. But we're staring into the near future with that scenario. Game four, tomorrow. What will happen? Going to have to stay tuned to find out. You're going to hear it here on Arizona Sports. For my co-host, Mitch Bereldis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass as well, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.